NASCAR season is here, and everyone on the Toyota racing team is doing their part to perform at the highest level. From driver Ty Gibbs to amateur musician Russell Viper, who's working on the perfect pre-race pump-up track for the team. Start those Camrys up! Yeah! To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. This NASCAR season, every member of the Toyota racing team is doing their part to take the trophy home. Like sixth grader Melissa Kowalski, who changes true to true X on every true false quiz she takes. All my teachers are Martin Truex Jr. fans now. Keep up the great work, Melissa. To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. Nice and clean, execute our race. Put ourselves in position, got to be there at the end. Yep, copy that. Have a nice, smooth day and try to be there when it counts. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. Kevin Harvick comes across the In the end, I I still think that it's going to be just survival the longest dirt race in history of mankind so uh, <laughs> who, who knows nascar live is brought to you by Wheelan engineering a global leader in the emergency warning industry trusted to perform since 1952 by xfinity x5 internet that's more than just fast xfinity proud premier partner of nascar and by blue emu maximum pain relief the official pain relief cream of the motor racing network Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. From the MRN Studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you. And, folks, we are jammed up and jelly tight. Over the next 60 minutes, we are going to get you ready for a little NASCAR history that's going to be made at Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend. The Cup Series returns to dirt. The NASCAR Camping World Truck Series there as well. And this show will get you up to speed before the action begins. First off, Richard Childress Racing's Austin Dillon is going to join us and give us the driver's perspective of preparing for the first Cup Dirt Race. Also, we'll have a visit from Managing Director of the NASCAR Cup Series, Jay Fabian. He's going to talk logistics for this weekend. We're also going to take a glance back, and we're also going to delve into the history of NASCAR's running on dirt, plus MRN Steve Post and Alex Hayden are going to join me in a fast forum that we're going to discuss what we could expect this weekend and what we can prepare for. Also, we'll be joined by Bristol Motor Speedway General Manager Jerry Caldwell. He'll make a pit stop with us as well. We've got all that and a whole lot more, but first, Kyle Rickey, the host of NASCAR Hot Passes here with the latest in NASCAR news, including the format of this week's race. Kyle? Mike, for the first time since 1970, the NASCAR Cup Series will return to dirt this weekend at the Bristol Motor Speedway. And for the first time ever, there will be a heat race format that includes passing points to determine the starting lineup. Here's how it's going to work. Friday will feature two practice sessions on the dirt layout. Both will be 50 minutes in length. A blind draw will then determine the starting lineups for the four qualifying races to be held on Saturday. Each will be 15 laps in distance and caution laps will not count. Drivers will be awarded points based on their heat race finish and how many positions that they advance during the race. 
Those will be known as passing points. Each heat race winner will receive 10 points, while second place will receive nine, a trend that will continue through the 10 car fields. One additional point will be awarded for each car a driver passes throughout the 15 lap race. If you finish where you started or go backwards, you'll receive zero additional points. This is a similar format used at dirt tracks across the country. As for Sunday, it will be a 250 lap event with two stage breaks at laps 75 and 150. Those will be the only opportunities to take fuel and tires during what will be controlled pit stops. Should be a fun weekend, something that we've never seen before with NASCAR's Premier Series. Mike. Thank you, Kyle. Coming up, Richard Childress Racing's Austin Dillon and later, NASCAR Cup Series Managing Director Jay Fabian. Sir, are you aware you were going 40 miles an hour? This is a residential area. Sure, but I'm on my lawnmower. Wait, am I getting a ticket? No, I've just never seen anyone top nine miles an hour on one of those bad boys. And mow their entire lawn in 30 seconds? What got into you? Well, it did fuel up at Sunoco this morning. At Sunoco, we know how to fuel peak performance. We've been doing it for American Racing for over 50 years. Fuel your best. Wheeland would like to congratulate Ryan Blaney and his number 12 Team Penske pit crew for the win at Atlanta Motor Speedway. They are the Wheeland pit crew of the week. As the confetti flew in Georgia, Blaney gave a nod to the gang behind the wall for keeping him in the fray for most of the race. You, you keep yourself in the hunt, you know, at all these races. You know, you, you keep yourself running up front and, you know, you're going to stack up wins. You know, it's a, today was a great example. We weren't the best car to the first half of the day and we kept working on it and, you know, Everyone did a great job, pit crew included, of keeping us in the game, you know, keeping us top three all day, and, and we got our car to where it needed to be, and uh, we were able to capitalize on it. So it's just about staying in the game, and um, you know, we did that really well today, so I'm proud of everybody. Wheelin Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, trusted to perform since 1952. Now, back to your host, Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Earlier today, MRN's Kurt Becker called up with RCR's Austin Dillon, to get the skinny about this week's Food City Dirt Race at Bristol. First, congratulations. You've already won on the dirt at Bristol, winning with the late model car last week in the Bristol Dirt Nationals. How much fun was that? No, it was a blast. You know, anytime I can get back to my roots, which is dirt racing and have a little fun, I was able to you know, put together a pretty good performance. And, uh, you know, Corey Hedgecock, owned the car I was so thankful for him to be able to put that together short notice and, and then not only that I usually don't put things together short notice and compete like we did so that was fun and, and then kind of transitioned over Atlanta and had a good run there it has been a, a good past several days for you the concept of taking dirt throwing it on top of a concrete racetrack and turning it into a dirt track give the folks of Bristol a report card based on the late model experience did they do a good job I was very impressed, you know, I mean, I think everybody saw some good racing this past week at Bristol and um, they did a good job maintaining the track. I think, you know, obviously they're nervous getting the cup cars there this week for the first time. It's going to be hard. Wouldn't want to be in their shoes because a lot of people were probably pessimistic about it, but they did a good job at the national. So many cars ran over that track. I think they're going to do a good job of put on a good race for the fans. How much of what you learned in a late model car on the dirt at Bristol, how much carries over and applies to driving a cup car on the dirt? Oh, well, some things definitely apply, but not as much as you'd think. You know, those cars are built to run on dirt. Our cars are not. 
we have to be very open-minded about what we do this weekend and we can't have the asphalt menta mentality of, you know, this is what we take to the track this, this weekend, we get to try some different things, you know, really get after it and have some fun during the practice sessions. And uh, I think the guy who's the most maneuverable this weekend will probably end up with a shot to win. You mentioned after the good run at Atlanta, you gave credit to the crew for how they kept adjusting on the car throughout the day. For those who are not as familiar with dirt track racing, can your crew make adjustments at the stage breaks? You don't have to worry about the race on or off pit road, but obviously you will be coming to the attention of your crew at the stage breaks. What about a dirt racing surface? Can they still tweak on a car and make the kind of adjustments you need as dirt in the same way they can for an asphalt or a concrete track? For sure. Definitely some things you can do during those breaks to make the car tighter or looser. We'll probably have a little bit of everything in the back of our mind as we go because over 250 laps on a dirt track, that, that's going to be the, the biggest change we see at any track this year. Uh, I mean, the dirt just doesn't keep the same surface. So you got to be willing to adjust your car and be ready for that last run when the track's nice and worn out. You had the honor several years ago of being the driver who went to victory lane when NASCAR made a return to dirt at the national level with the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, you won the truck race on the dirt at Eldora. What do you remember about that night? Man, I think the uh, biggest thing I remember is just being able to say we're the inaugural winner on dirt, uh, taking a picture the next day with Richard Petty, the, the last person that had won on dirt. It's cool to be able to be in the first truck race back and the first cup race back. And man, I'd like to add the, the cup trophy uh, to, to the stable. With that experience that you've had, I mean, you've been a, a champion in the trucks. You've won on dirt in the trucks. A lot of your NASCAR Cup Series colleagues have elected to compete in a truck this weekend at Bristol. Why no truck race for you this weekend? Oh, well, it just didn't, never really lined up to, to get in the truck we wanted to get in or, or just didn't feel like you know, I could put more focused on the week before um, driving the dirt car and um, then just want to get in the cup car, focus on it. Definitely will be good for those people that are in it, and, and they'll have a bit of advantage, I think, starting the race. But I'll be there watching and seeing what I can learn. And uh, the good thing is we have two practice sessions that I feel like I can get enough out of uh, before we go to the cup race. How did a guy born in 1990, such as yourself, become so interested in dirt racing? I think my dad you know, pushed my brother and I both to go race dirt because he saw some of the guys coming up. Uh, the experience they had on dirt and, and what they were able to do in, in a stock car. Um, you know, Jeff Gordon raced on dirt, uh, you know, growing up as a young kid. And I'm really thankful that my family pushed me to do dirt. And I think it's kind of groomed me into the driver I am today. You have won on the sport's biggest stage. You've won a Daytona 500. You've won the 600 miler at Charlotte. What would it mean to you to add a dirt win at Bristol to your resume? Oh, it means the world, you know, I mean, this weekend's going to be a blast. It's an inaugural race. We're all gunning for it. Um, and there's some really good dirt racers out there in the Cup Series. So can't wait to, to get out there and get after it. That's Richard Childress Racing's Austin Dillon. Coming up next, we'll, uh, we'll go a little deeper inside the logistics of this weekend's Cup race with NASCAR Cup Series Managing Director Jay Fabian. And later, we'll have a fast forum with Steve Post and Alex Hayden. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Thank you for making us a part of your week here on NASCAR Live. And this week will include the NASCAR Cup Series dirt race at Bristol. The first time in over 50 years the Cup cars have been on dirt. MRN Steve Post had a chance to talk with Cup Series Managing Director Jay Fabian. 
about everything that went into making this weekend a reality. The dirt race. We've been doing it with the truck series for the last few years, but you get to bring the cup cars there. And Jay, I guess I want to go back to as this leaked out, as this was announced, just in general, what was the reaction in the garage area to Bristol Dirt with the cup cars? You know, it was definitely a mixed reaction. You know, every time something new happens, it's new, right? And it goes from, oh, my God, we can't do that, to how are we going to do it? What are we going to do? The cars, you know. And as soon as you get past all that, it's really not, it, don't get me wrong, it's been a huge amount of work. But it's also not entirely difficult. There are race cars and the surface is different. And these guys are really good. Guys and girls that work on these cars are really good. The people that drive them happen to be pretty good too. So um, I think once it landed on the schedule, then it's, uh, you know, it's all work then. You get ready to go. Let's talk a little bit about the race cars, Jay. In general terms, what types of things are different on these cars that we would normally not see like, like at a traditional uh, asphalt track? Yeah, rule-wise, I don't think you'll see a lot different. Um, the spoiler is a little different than what we've run, um, like at Phoenix or at, at Homestead. Uh, there's a few things with a splitter that's different, like most of the splitter is gone. Um, it's just they have a piece down there to keep the, the nose flange on the car, but you really probably won't see that. Um, a lot of the things car-wise are just durability that will be inside the car or something you might see, like, like you would see with your dirt cars, uh, you'll see a lot of outerwear being used, whether that's over the grill inlet or whether that's over the airbox, the cowl, um, some of the NACA ducts. You'll see some of that, but that's just more protection from the dirt, from the environment to the car. I would dare say you probably have relied greatly um, on, on what Brad has done with the truck series. Is it, It's had to have been great to have those test runs. Is that pretty much where most of this has come from? That is 100% correct. I think um, Brad Moran, the truck series, they've done a great job at Eldora. You've watched that get um, better and more smooth over the years. We have relied on Brad a lot, um, his input, his feedback on, on what to do. And I got to be honest with you, one of their truck teams um, brought a truck to the R&D center that they raced dirt with and invited the cup guys over to see how they build a car for dirt, build a truck for dirt. And a lot of our rules were based off of that. You know, we have a great working relationship with, you know, certainly Brad and the truck series, Wayne, Xfinity. But that's the first time, you know, we've had somebody, hey, we'll bring you a truck if, if you guys want to see it, if that'll help you out. So that was really cool to see everybody working together. And for sure, we had a lot of people in and out of there looking at it. So looking at it and probably trying to find those little areas where they think they can uh, be a little bit more creative, I'm sure. This one, I'm... I'm I'm cautiously optimistic okay, yeah. <laughs> that we're going to build a car that survives a dirt race more than more than a few counts of something somewhere. So it's more about keeping the belts on the engine and, and keeping your car protected, I think, than it is anything else. I, I believe that. I'm, and that's what I'm sticking with. One of the procedural things that have changed, you've mentioned some practice and heat races, but uh, one of the procedural things is uh, pit stops um live pit stops i just can't imagine how big of a challenge that would have been on with all of the challenges of this surface that that that, that doesn't seem to me like that would have even been possible yeah i think you know the the first thing you look at that's key there is safety it's not a it will not be a pristine pit road you know those folks over the wall are are pretty athletic but i think you know, you see them after pit stops now with their little blowers out there getting little bits of tire rubber off. Mm -hmm. 
with the surface being dirt, the pit road isn't going to be dirt, but it's also not going to be as pristine as it once was. So, you know, there was, there was a lot of um, conversation that went into what the right thing to do was there. And it became obvious pretty quickly that um, not having pit stops like we see typically would be the best solution. So the way this will work then, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, they can or cannot pit during the caution. There's stage breaks, and that's when the pit service would take place. If they choose not to pit, they'll move to the front of the line. If they choose to pit, they'll join after those or those cars that did not pit in the order they were racing. Is that correct? That's right. You've been a good study at Eldora. That's, uh, <laughs> you can gain track position through a stage break, but it's by staying out. That's your only track position play is to stay on the track. And then, you know, we freeze the field after the stages, and that's how they line back up, other than the people that played some strategy. What do you think this is going to look like, Jay? I mean, is it, is it going to look like we've seen at Eldora? I mean, there have been some great races up there with the trucks. Is, it, is, is, is that what you think this is going to be? I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a great race. I have a lot of confidence in it. And with our group, the, the teams do a great job. They're smart. They know what they're doing. The folks that drive the things, they happen to be pretty good too. They've um, spent a lot of time educating themselves on dirt and, and how that racing works and looks. They've got cars, they've gone to race them. Um, so they've obviously taken it really serious and the race is long enough that you're going to learn. You're going to learn a lot throughout the race. Like I say, these these folks are pretty smart and they're really good at what they do. So you'll see some. Uh, you'll see the normal what you would expect dirt racers to be really good based on track conditions and how the track changes. They'll be able to see that coming. Some of the other ones it might take just to, just a bit to to understand that, but they'll get it. Trust me, they'll they'll get it. I think it'll be good. Jay, this is another in a series of, I can't believe we're doing this. Old NASCAR was, we've always done it this way, and we're going to continue to do it this way. We practice on Friday. We qualify Friday afternoon. We do all of this. The pandemic has certainly driven a lot of this. Did you ever, though, in your wild imagination, think that uh, the old school NASCAR stuff, no practice, no qualifying, running on a dirt race, did you ever see us getting this far down the road with the changes in NASCAR? Yes. Yeah. I'll tell you why, you know, it, we have done things a certain way for a long time. And, and it's always been, you know, we want to make the fans happy. You have cars on the racetrack, right? You, you have practices, you have campers, you have the fans. They want to see cars on the track. And that's what we provided for them. When the pandemic shut everything down, then that changed quite a bit. And we still had to race. And, and the reason I say that I'm not surprised at all, I've worked on quite a few race teams. And you're always fastest off the truck. Right, you unload, you make your first lap of practice, and you generally make it worse from there. So <laughs> I've been through that a lot in my life. Um, no, for sure. Some some folks work on it and make it better, but there's been a lot of times that we've been the fastest right off the truck and you put it back to the way you unload. So when we show up and race, it's not a huge surprise to me that, that the cars are as good as they are. That's NASCAR Cup Series Managing Director Jay Fabian. You can hear much more of this conversation on this week's MRN Crew Call. You can download the show for free at MRN.com. On the way next, we'll pull Steve Post and Alex Hayden in for a fast forum, and later we'll get a history lesson of NASCAR running on dirt. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. 
Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We welcome you back to NASCAR Live. So glad you are with us here for our weekly get-together. Coming up this weekend, we're headed off to the Bristol Motor Speedway, which is, well, which is covered in dirt. We'll get to that in a moment. Perfect opportunity to bring in Alex Hayden and Steve Post for an MRN Fast Forum. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Alex, I'll begin with you. Six races in the Cup Series in the books. Six different winners. Is 2021 playing out as you thought that it would have played out? No. Uh, and I don't think anybody thinks uh, it's playing out the way they expected it to, given the fact that that we're in the same type of scenario as we were through all of last year uh, with no practice, no qualifying. I thought the usual suspects were still going to be at the front of the field, the Kevin Harvick's, the Denny Hamlin's, and sure, they're running at the front of the field, but you have to break into the win column. I don't think anybody saw Michael McDowell winning the Daytona 500. I don't think anybody saw Christopher Bell winning the road course. You know, obviously, William Byron's a talented driver, but I didn't have him at all penciled in in my five drivers to win at Homestead. Uh, Kyle Larson, we all figured would win, didn't know it would be this soon in the season. So, no, I, I think this is something that's, shaping up to be unlike anything we've ever seen before and and the potential of how many winners are we actually going to have? Because I do expect Hamlin to win. I do expect Harvick to win. I expect Keselowski, Logano, the list goes on and on and on. Who knows? We could have well into double digits and winners this year. Yeah, I'm with you, Alex. The, The cast of characters that we expected to win haven't won yet, and they will. I think when you look at the six winners, I think maybe a little bit Ryan Blaney. We could have seen him win, although he's only a five-time winner. I think the only one of the the six winners so far that we said he should have won a race by now is Martin Truex Jr. Of course, when you look at his last year, it's been a struggle. So maybe it's even a shocker that he grabbed uh, grabbed the win like he did. But but I just think it's been fascinating. You know, we have a Hendrick driver that won, and it's not Chase Elliott. We have a Penske driver that won, and it's not Logano or Keselowski. You know, we have a Gibbs driver that won, and it's not Hamlin or Kyle Busch. I just find the whole thing fascinating. There's a little bit about it that just feels upside down and a little bit about it, a lot about it, that feels really, really great. I mean, it's just been, it has been a fun season, that's for sure. Well, one of the upside-down things that we're referring to that makes my list is what in the wide, wide world of sports is going on with Stuart Haas Racing? After they get done Sunday at Atlanta Motor Speedway, I don't know how Kevin Harvick got to 10th. I mean, the rest of the fleet, 18th, 20th, and 23rd, the biggest stat takeaway, mile-and-a-half average for Stuart Haas Racing, 20.9. Posty, what is going on over there at SHR? Well, they just don't have any speed in those race cars. And somewhere along the way on Pitt Road, uh, I chatted with Kevin Harvick pre-race and post-race, and they've been by experience and staying out of trouble and right strategy at the end him and Rodney Childers have been able to salvage all right finishes, but they haven't been able to do anything with the other teams. The other teams have just been off the rails. So I just think that it's a complete lack of speed over there that they have right now. The balance of the race cars is not to anybody's liking the speed in the race cars. And it's just through, you know, Harvick has always been known as the closer, how they could finish up to close the race. The closer right now is doing the same thing. The problem of it is, is they're not good enough to win races. The closer is getting them to a 10th place finish in Atlanta or a top five finish at a race earlier this year. Uh, they just do not have any speed over there. And you almost see a little bit like we, we don't understand it either. 
you know, I think part of this too, you can correlate it to just a, a couple, three years ago to Hendrick Motorsports. Hendrick Motorsports was struggling. They were just behind and everybody was questioning, are they going to win again and win if so? And I think that's where we're at with Stuart Haas Racing, just being off a little bit. But when you look at their lineup and what they have, Kevin Harvick is is a bit frustrated right now. I think that's a, a fair assessment. He he expects to be at the front. He expects to win races based off of what he did last year, let alone every other year he's been at Stuart Haas Racing. Eric Almirola is a veteran driver. But then when you look at it, Cole Custer, yeah, he won last year. He was a playoff driver in his rookie campaign. Now you bring in another rookie in Chase Briscoe who's trying to figure out the footing there. And it's difficult right now. And I imagine these debriefs that they have in the team meetings – it's hard to get a full circle of feedback on how we can go in a certain direction when you only realistically only have a couple of veteran drivers there. And clearly they're struggling right now themselves. So uh, I, I think Stuart Haas Racing is going to be fine. I think right now they're going to have to withstand a bit of a, of a rough patch right now. And this, this is where it's going to become a character check or a gut check, if you will, as a race team. They can either come together and figure this out as one or they can start to implode a little bit and let the frustrations take over. And these four teams all under one roof can start varying off and going in different tributaries. And that could create more problems than what they have right now. Well, speaking of gut checks, uh, there's going to be a lot of guts that are going to be in need of antacids this weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway. Got trucks and cup on the dirt. First time since 1970, the cup cars have been on a dirt track. Mostly, what do you think we're going to see in this? This should be uh, this should be one for the ages Sunday at Bristol. Yeah, my first concern when I heard this is 250 laps on a dirt track for the Cup cars. I mean, 250 laps on a dirt—that is a long race. That is a long race, and 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 yet we look at some of the truck races and they've been entertaining and really good up at Eldora Speedway. I really am lately here have a feeling it's going to be something really special. I heard we, we heard Jay Fabian there just talk a little bit about the fact that these guys and gals work on these vehicles and these drivers are really, really good at what they do. And these drivers have all gone out across the country and got some dirt track experience. I saw an interview and it was just a, a podcaster did an interview with Kyle Larson after his run up at Bristol this past weekend. And you could almost sense that Kyle was like, I was really hesitant about what this is going to look like. And after running here in this late model car, I have a hunch this NASCAR weekend is going to be really, really good. And you can just kind of read Kyle's language that uh, he's pretty excited. And nobody knows more about dirt tracks and these stock cars combined than Kyle Larson. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what we have this weekend. Well, Alex, to get us going, uh, you and I will be in the booth Saturday for the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race a race that features Daniel Suarez coming over to drive for Young's Motorsports. Bubba Wallace is going to be in there. Kevin Harvick, Myatt Snyder, Ryan Newman, Kyle Larson, Martin Truex Jr., Jessica Friesen, wife of Stuart Friesen. I would say that the lineup for the truck race on Saturday is going to be a pretty diverse lineup. We got a little bit of everything on Saturday night. I agree, and I think the biggest thing that, that speaks to me about so many different people wanting to get in this truck race especially the cup series drivers if you have no experience or very little experience racing on dirt this is not a throwaway weekend this is these professional drivers that want to go out and want to run their best and want to have their best showing and who knows what could happen with a little bit of luck over 250 laps in the cup race there so this shows me all these drivers that are wanting to get in this truck race to get some laps on this event 
or on this racetrack for this event, I think that speaks volumes. And I think the, the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race, not only because of all these new interlopers for this particular event, but I think the veterans that we have in the truck series already that have experience racing on these big, heavy trucks on the dirt at Eldora Speedway, I think these truck series regulars are going to come in and, and put a pretty good beat down on the cup drivers. Keep in mind, cup drivers, yeah, they want to win the truck race, Steve. But I think overall, this is going to be about getting laps. This, this truck race, you've got guys like Stuart Friesen and Matt Crafton. They are going to be tough. They are going to be good. One of the things that I have enjoyed so much, we've talked about the truck race as a, as a, as a practice session for the cup race. I have, as a dirt track lover, and you guys know I love my dirt track racing, I have loved the last month and a half of our life to watch Brad Keselowski in a dirt late model. I saw, okay, one of my childhood heroes was a guy named Buzzy Rudiman. Buzzy son David ran with us in NASCAR for a while. A month and a half ago, I saw Joey Logano and Buzzy Rudiman run side by side at Volusia. <laughs> this whole buildup has been phenomenal. I mean, in my wildest dreams, I never thought I would see that combination. So it has been phenomenal. And Saturday night's truck race that we're going to have on Motor Racing Network, it is going to be another chapter in that buildup. And I just think we're in for a fascinating day of racing, fascinating weekend of racing for sure. And we will have live coverage of the Pennies Truck Race on Dirt, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time right here on the Motor Racing Network coming your way from Bristol Motor Speedway. Gentlemen, thanks for the time. It's going to be a fun one, and it's going to be a memorable one this weekend. Looking forward to it, Mike. Thanks so much. It's Bristol, baby. We'll see you there. All right, boys. Coming up on NASCAR Live, we'll get a history lesson about NASCAR on Dirt, and later we'll get a preview with some of the biggest names in the sport. Today's broadcast is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We continue on this week's NASCAR Live. It's been a half century since the NASCAR Cup Series has raced on anything but asphalt or concrete, and that's going to change this weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway. MRN's Kurt Becker takes a look back at the history of NASCAR running on dirt. It was September 30th, 1970, and it was to be the final dirt track race for the NASCAR Cup Series for many years. A race fans at this end of the speedway on their feet as Richard Petty moves into turn number three. Richard Petty won the home state 200 at State Fairground Speedway in Raleigh, North Carolina for the 117th victory of his career. During post-race interviews, Petty admitted that dirt tracks seemed to be becoming a thing of the past but he added that he hoped a few such tracks would be put back on the schedule someday because, as he put it, this is where our brand of racing started. It has taken over 50 years, but the King is about to get his wish as the Food City Dirt Race at Bristol marks the return of the Cup Series to the type of surface on which the sport began. The early days of NASCAR marked visits to venues such as county fairgrounds, state fairgrounds, rodeo facilities, and any number of crudely designed bull rings where a track could be hastily carved from a plowed field. The racing surfaces were rough, bumpy, choppy, and often full of ruts or potholes. Mud would clog fuel lines and radiators. There were cracked and filthy windshields. There were broken parts, A-frames, control arms, spindles, motor mounts, sway bars, ball joints, shock absorbers, often littering the track. Drivers would sometimes race for 50 laps with jammed accelerators and for as many as 100 laps with no brakes. It was not uncommon for cars to crash through guardrails and wooden fences, to disappear over embankments, to land in the middle of trees and shrubbery, or even to land in nearby swamps and ponds. 
The NASCAR Cup Series, known at the time as Grand National Racing, played out continually before enthusiastic audiences all over North America in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s in the dust and dirt of local and regional bowl rings. Yet things happened in that era and on those tracks which were truly historical in nature. For example, it was at the half-mile dirt track known as the Dayton Speedway in Dayton, Ohio, where Jimmy Florian took the checkered flag and gave Ford its first Cup Series victory on June 25, 1950. A few years later, on March 26, 1955, Fonty Flock took the win on the dirt at the Columbia Speedway in South Carolina, marking the first Cup victory ever for Chevrolet. And on December 1st, 1963, Wendell Scott of Danville, Virginia, drove his car to the win at Jacksonville Speedway Park, a half-mile dirt track in Jacksonville, Florida, marking the first Cup Series win ever by an African-American driver. But by the late 1960s, the growth of the sport had led to the development of larger facilities with paved racing surfaces, with fewer and fewer dirt tracks remaining on the schedule. That came from a peak of 44 cup races at dirt venues in 1956 to just 15 remaining on the schedule some 10 years later. The final three dirt track races for the cup series would be held in 1970, capped by Petty's win at Raleigh. But in July of 2013, after an absence of nearly 43 years, dirt track racing in NASCAR regained the national spotlight when the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series visited the legendary Eldora Speedway in Ohio. Austin Dillon dominated the closing laps and prevailed at a green-white checker finish. Here he comes sliding off turn number four, and Austin Dillon will win NASCAR's return to dirt here at the Eldora Speedway. The following year, Bubba Wallace held off a hard-charging Kyle Larson in the closing laps at Eldora and went to victory lane. It's going to be a huge win for Darrell Wallace Jr. It is going to be huge for him. Bubba wins at Eldora. And in 2018, it was Chase Briscoe and Grant Enfinger who staged a door-banging overtime finish in the trucks at Eldora. Off turn four, side by side to the finish. Grant Enfinger to the outside. That bounces off the wall. It's Chase Briscoe to the bottom. He will win this. The NASCAR Camping World Truck Series brought dirt track racing back to national prominence in NASCAR with those battles at Eldora. And now the eyes of the racing world turn to Bristol, where the trucks will go racing once again on dirt, and the NASCAR Cup Series will take to a dirt surface for the first time in more than five decades. History is once again waiting to be made. And for NASCAR Cup Series drivers, that means the chance to do something no one has done in this series since Richard Petty in 1970. It's the chance to be a winner on dirt. Thank you, Kurt. What a great piece. It's interesting how the sport has made a full circle back to its roots. Coming up next, we'll get a preview of this weekend with some of your favorite drivers, and we'll hear from Bristol Motor Speedway General Manager Jerry Caldwell. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. There's a lot of anticipation around this weekend's races at Bristol Motor Speedway. The drivers are all hoping to be the first to snag the trophy for this historic race. For more, here's Kyle Ricky with this week's NASCAR Live race preview. When NASCAR superstars hit the dirt track at Bristol on Sunday, it will be the first time since 1970 that the Cup Series has raced on dirt. Many of NASCAR's top names don't have a lot of experience on that type of surface, like Kevin Harvick, and have been clamoring to enter any race on dirt. 
if I just step back and look at it and say, what would you think about this race? What would be the proper thing to, to do for us with, you know, me personally not having a huge background. I think, you know, obviously Tony has a has a huge background and, and, and should be a, an integral part of, of what we do as a race team as far as making sure that, that we're prepared. You know, I know that I'm going to be a little bit of at a, at a deficit as far as when I look at the racetrack and the things that I see and where I need to go, you know, do I need to keep moving up? Do I need to move down? When does it go dry slick? What's the racetrack going to be like? What do you anticipate? You know, I, I think for, for me, you have to, I, I have to look at Chase and uh, Briscoe and just, you know, kind of take their lead. He's got a background in it and, and know that um, I'm still going to be driving a cup car on, on a dirt track. It's not going to be like a dirt late model or a midget or a modified or, but those guys that do that stuff all the lot, all the time will have it definitely have an advantage as far as knowing where they need to go when they need to go and and i just kind of have to to follow along and keep my eyes open and pay attention kyle bush was one of those drivers he ran in the bristol dirt nationals over the weekend to get some dirt under his feet but says yes the experience is good but the cup cars will react very differently this weekend I, those yeah those cars are not even close to what we're going to run so it's just a matter of uh, of figuring out the track and feeling the track and getting some visuals you know um the 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 white line that we're running around is not the same white line that i'm always used to running around at bristol so it's definitely different and uh just trying to learn and, and see exactly what uh what the racetrack feels like and uh i've driven those cars before but nowhere close to anywhere like bristol i bet the, the biggest fastest place i've been on with those is, is eldora and uh, so just trying to remember what the grip level was at Eldora and trying to remember what the grip level is at Bristol and um, and then, you know, trying to think about what a cup car would feel like. So the, the cars aren't uh, aren't even close where I'm I'm learning anything, really. Harvick's SHR teammate Eric Almarola also says the way the cup cars will drive on dirt is different from anything any of these drivers can get their hands on. From what I've heard from a lot of people, it's, you know, it's not like typical dirt car racing you don't have the car really hung out sideways um standing in the gas and 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 just slinging mud um you know the cars drive a lot straighter on the dirt these big heavy stock cars do uh they're not running super sideways they're not um you know you're not driving them like you would a typical dirt car um so i think that's what everybody has, has really referenced is that um, you know, the cars are not way up on the left side and dug in with the right side tires. Um, there's just a lot of differences in the way that the, the cars, the dirt cars drive and, and the way that they race versus how, you know, I'm expecting and from what I hear and what I gather, uh, our cup cars to drive on dirt. Drivers, teams and fans are anxiously awaiting to see what happens on Sunday at Bristol. And who can win in a cup car on dirt? Oh, it's going to be so much fun to watch, Kyle. Thank you so much. There's been a lot of work put in to make this racing weekend it possible. Nobody knows this more than Bristol Motor Speedway General Manager Jerry Caldwell. MRN's Jeff Striegel spoke with him about the effort. Why don't we start all the way back to the beginning? Let's go way back, all the way to that boardroom meeting where somebody said, what if we put dirt down on Bristol? Can you take us back to that day and tell us how all of this came to fruition? You know, it, it really goes back 20 years and in some respects goes back 50 years. Um, 
we tried this 20 years ago. Uh, we put dirt on the track for a couple of years in a row and ran some World of Outlaws uh, events and some other dirt events. And then uh, when you work for Bruton and Marcus, they're always challenging you to think bigger, think think better. How do we make it better for the race fans? How do we make it more fun and spice things up? So this really came out a couple of years ago in some group think um, here at Bristol with some team. How are we going to spice things up? How do we continue to push the envelope? And, um, you know, that's really where it came out. And then we, we passed that along to Marcus and um, allowed him to think about it for a while. And then he had some conversations with, with uh, NASCAR and some race teams and that it really, the stars aligned, I guess, um, to, to allow it to happen now. All right, engineering marble. There's no doubt about it. Let's talk a little bit about what you had to do. I'm interested in where did the clay come from? How many truckloads went in there? Give us some of the numbers on what it took to build the facility that we see there today. Yeah, uh, again, I'll, I'll give all the credit to Steve Swift and our engineer and operations team, um, Chad Baker with Baker Construction. They've really been great partners and helped pull this off. 2,300 truckloads of dirt. Um, the deepest part of the track is about eight feet with dirt. Um, they moved the banking from 30 degrees to 19 degrees. And so a neat thing, when we did this 20 years ago, uh, one of the guys on our paint crew, an, an older gentleman who's been around for a long time, we were trying to figure out what to put on the base under the dirt to protect the track and to also make it easier for us to get it up. And he, um, you know, we had engineers looking at all kinds of stuff and George, uh, the painter, George said, what about sawdust? And everybody kind of looked at him and said, huh, well, let's try that. So it, we ended up learning that 20 years ago. And, and again, this year, sawdust, about two to three inches of sawdust all the way around the racetrack to protect the track and to make it easier when you get it up. And then um, the other neat part is that dirt that we used 20 years ago, we had been storing it. We had piled up in a parking lot over across 394. So we went and got a lot of that dirt. That's the base layer right above the sawdust. And then we were able to find two different farms. One right here on, you can see the hill outside the backstretch. Um, and then another one, just a few miles down the road, we were able to go get some of that red clay. And uh, Steve and the team sent it off to have it, uh, the engineers do their research on it, look at the consistencies and, and tell us these are the right ones. We picked from, I think it was 15 to 20 different locations and, and they came back and told us the two that worked the best. So we went and got that red clay and um, put it in and it's worked really well so far. Well, it's been a remarkable undertaking, and I think the fruits of your labor are going to pay off this weekend. All of NASCAR is going to be watching. You know that, Jerry. So congratulations to you and your team for the idea, the effort, and the results are soon to, uh, to, to be seen by everybody. So we wish you all the best this weekend. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it really has been a group effort, really from across the sport. I mean, to, we had to have obviously NASCAR support, but the, the team owners and the drivers, and it's really been a great undertaking as our sport, for our sport as a whole, and we're excited about it. That's Bristol Motor Speedway General Manager Jerry Caldwell. Coming up next, we'll take a look back on this week in NASCAR history. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. 
Closing in on another checkered flag for this week's NASCAR Live. But before we do, it's time to turn back the hands of the clock for this week in NASCAR history with Susie Armstrong. Susie? Thanks, Mike. 1988, an unlikely montage of musicians go multi-platinum as the Dirty Dancing soundtrack rides atop Billboard's Top 200. After a close opening round in Tokyo, Mike Tyson delivered a right uppercut, followed by a wicked barrage of blows, enough to KO heavyweight Tony Tubbs in the second round. And Dale Earnhardt thrashed the competition in Georgia, dominating the Motorcraft 500 at Atlanta Motor Speedway, his first victory in the black and silver number three Chevrolet. The fans have been saying what's happened to Dale Earnhardt. He's about to win his first race in 1988 as he wins the Motorcraft 500 ahead of Rusty Wallace by a couple of seconds. Darrell Walker to finish third. 1993, recorded live at Bray Film Studios in Windsor, England, Eric Clapton's Unplugged gains critical acclaim. Three Grammys and CD sales aplenty. Despite a week of mild warming, the so-called storm of the century maintained its icy grip on several northeastern towns. And Morgan Shepard had ice water in his veins as he pushed fuel mileage to the limit in the snow-delayed Motorcraft 500, claiming his final cup victory in Atlanta. Morgan Shepard about to collect a victory here at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Here he comes out of turn number four, and the fuel gamble will pay off for Morgan Shepard in the Citco Ford checkered flag, and Morgan Shepard will win here this afternoon. 2004, Canadian rockers Nickelback kept pumping out the hits, scoring big with five tracks from the blockbuster album The Long Road, including the chart-topping single Someday. Matt LeBlanc reprised the role of Joey in the self-titled, short-lived Friends spinoff on NBC. And Jimmy Johnson dug in for the win on the track Too Tough to Tame, holding off Bobby Labonte in the Dodge Dealers 400 at Darlington Raceway. Bobby Labonte gets a run up onto the back straightaway. Labonte looks low, not able to do anything just yet. Jimmy Johnson has been sliding down here in turn three. Labonte goes up high. Now he pulls a fake, looking low. Labonte follows off turn four. Labonte within a car length, looking for a chance to make a move. Will he be able to do it? Coming down to the line? No, he will not. And Jimmy Johnson scores his first win at the Darlington Raceway, holding off a hard-charging Bobby Labonte. And those are just some of the events from this week in NASCAR history. Thank you, Susie. That's all the time we have for you for this week's show. We'd like to thank Austin Dillon for stopping by. Also, our thanks to NASCAR Cup Series Managing Director Jay Fabian and Jerry Caldwell, the Bristol Motor Speedway. Also, for the rest of the MRN crew, including Steve Post and Alex Hayden, I'm Mike Bagley. We thank you so much for being with us this week, and we'll join you next week right here for another edition of NASCAR Live. Until then, so long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and was brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast and you won't stink. Today's broadcast was produced by Alexa Henrian, Julian Council, and Rich Cobra. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. Ruoff Mortgage wants to welcome you home with their fast and stress-free mortgage process. Ruoff knows that when you're ready to move, you want to keep things moving. 
From the moment you start, Ruoff makes sure the process moves quickly, often twice as fast as other lenders, so you can close quickly and settle in sooner. Visit Ruoff.com to learn how you can qualify for the fastest loan of your life. That's Ruoff, R-U-O-F-F dot com.